has a plan and purpose for your life. God wants to open your eyes today. Vision is knowing that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So God wants to speak to you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person in this house today. God, is not by accident that, that they are here. God, you've called them to be here. And Lord, I pray today that you would inspire them and encourage them to live the full potential that you have given them, that you would inspire them and encourage them to be, um, to be inspired by the heroes that we see in the Bible, Lord God, that we too can be a hero of our faith, that you would inspire them and encourage them to not listen to the, to, the, to the giants in our life, the zeros out there that are trying to tell us that we are not good enough, that we cannot make any kind of impact. God, I pray that you would give them ears today to hear what your spirit is speaking, and God, that you would shut their ears to the lies of the devil right now in the name of Jesus, that you would give them focus, that you will give them a oneness of heart and mind in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So how to be a hero and not a zero. We're going to break down the word word hero and give you four points on how to be a hero. And we're going to break down the word zero and give you four points on how to not be a zero. Cause sometimes we need to know both of them. Okay. So lessons from the epic fight between David and Goliath. Number one, how to be a hero is that we need to have heart. Say heart. A hero has heart because his heart is after God. Acts 13, 22 in the NIV says this. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He is willing to, to do everything I want him to do. So a hero has heart, but his heart, the reason he has heart is because He has a heart after God. God himself testified way after the epic uh, battle of David and Goliath in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, concerning his son David, saying he has heart because he will do everything I have asked him to do. Friends, that's what a hero is. It's to do what God has called us to do. Do you know that there's an assignment that's on your life that only you can do? See, when, when Goliath came out, a giant over nine feet tall, and he came out in front of all the armies of the Lord, and he called out, is anyone willing to, to fight me? And everybody else shrunk back in fear. It was not their assignment, friends, but it was the assignment of David, a shepherd boy who was still just barely a child. It was his assignment to beat that giant and enter into his destiny. Friends, there's giants that stand in our way from us entering into our destiny. And only you can beat that giant that's in your way of your destiny. But in order to do that, you have to first and foremost have heart. And the only way you can have heart is if your heart is directed to God. Because when our heart or our passion is only on what we, our own abilities, friends, you will fail every time. The difference between our faith and every other religion in the entire world is it is not based on works. It is based on relationship with Jesus. But still, even in our faith, we have works, but it comes out of relationship. But oftentimes, we get it twisted. Say twisted. And we look at the works. Oh, I got to go to church because, you know, I'm saved now. So I need a, and it's all about the works. No, we get to go to church, friends. Because we want to be in fellowship with one another and there's power in corporate worship. But we get it twisted. And we get all, and that's what a zero does. He gets things twisted. 
But a hero has heart, and that heart is because he has heart after God. Luke 10, 27 says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your what? Heart. With all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This uh, weekend, Pastor Josh and I had a 32-hour trip, 16 hours down to Florida and 16 hours down back when it's there for a day for um, our dear friend, mentor, spiritual father, and hero, Pastor Keith Stepp, who is now with the Lord. Pastor Keith, the thing that was most profoundly touched me about his life was his heart. He had a heart after God, and he had a heart for people. I've heard people over and over in ministry say, oh, I love God, but people get on my nerves. I can't handle people. These are pastors, friends. I mean, I've sat in, in meetings with pastors that say, it's, it's not God, it's people. These are Christians. Come on, how many of us have thought it? It's, it's not God. I mean, some of us have even said it about the church of vision. It's not God. His presence is there. It's the people. Oh, some of y'all is guilty. Come on. You know it's true. If you haven't said it, you thought it. You don't got to raise your hand, brother. I already knew. I already knew. This this. This is my brother right here, man. Come on. This is the thing, though. One of the things, this is the thing. If you love God, he says the greatest commandment is to love God. And he said the next one is like this, to love your neighbor. Because when we love God, we, this is where we mess up. We get it twisted. Say twisted. We try to love our neighbor in our own love. We cannot love our neighbor in our own love. We have to love our neighbor from the agape love, which is the unconditional love that we only can get in God, friends. We have to love our neighbor through God. Because my own love, like, my own love is not good enough. My own love is conditional. Come on, it is. There's, there's, if you study love in the Bible, there's three different Greek words. There's one that's eris, and it means um, romantic love. There's one that's filio, it's brotherly love. And that's the love that, that's the only kind of love that we can have in ourselves, guys, those two loves. And those are always condition-based. I'm in love for him because he brought me followers. I'm in love with him because he finally gave me some money to go shopping. <laughs> but unconditional love. It is a true statement, at least the last part. Um, unconditional love, which is agape love that is only from God, we can love because God loves us, and through that love, we can love one another. So that kind of love is even when they do me dirty, even when they forget something that they should remember, even when they don't say hello to me because they're busy, even when whatever it is, they don't meet my expectation of who I think they should be, I'm going to love anyways. See, a hero has heart because their heart is after God and they love through their heart for God. David had heart. David was able to enter into his destiny to be a giant slayer because when he heard that giant defy the armies of God and mock God, his heart, was, he, had a, he had a heart to defend his God. Friends, I want to ask you a question today. On a scale of 1 to 10, how's your heart for God? How's your personal time for God? How's your heart loving God right now? 1 being the lowest, it could be 10 being the highest. Don't answer out loud. You think to yourself. Now, what can you do to bring it up a notch? Let's take it even deeper. On a scale of 1 to 10, how's your heart for people? 
I don't want to be around people. I can't stand people. I need to hide myself away from people because people are on my nerves. That would probably be a one. How can we bring it up a notch? Friends, we can bring it up a notch by first getting right here. You got to get right here first. It's got to be vertical first. Your heart got to be right with God. And then from there, God, I can't love people in my own strength. Help me love them in your strength. Got to get it right first. So a heart after God. That's how to be a hero. That's what David was. He was a hero. But friends, David had to fight a zero. And a zero every single time, a zero has zeal. Say zeal. But it's misplaced zeal. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, which is another word for zeal, serving the Lord. See, Goliath had zeal. He had passion. But his passion and his zeal was in his own ability and in his own stature, in his own size. Rather, whether it was in his own size instead of God's, friends. A zero always has zeal. And sometimes it's easy to follow a zero because of their zeal. This is the thing. The giant in front of you is never bigger than the God inside of you. That giant in front of you has zeal and passion and a big old mouth and it's going to get up there and it's going to rally the troops. It's going to make you feel like you're nobody and you're nothing and you can't do what God has called you to do. But remember, friends, that giant in front of you that stands in the way of you entering into your God-ordained destiny and assignment that only you can enter into is not bigger than the God inside of you. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, friends. God made you to have passion and zeal. But we need to keep our passion and zeal serving the Lord. Because of that, the devil wants us to misdirect our zeal towards useless, worldly things. Friends, oftentimes our zeal is found in what we do instead of who we do it for. We can even have zeal for ministry and not zeal for the Lord. We can have passion for ministry and not passion for the Lord. A good way of saying that you have passion for ministry and not passion for the Lord is that you're doing it for applause or you're doing it because if some kind of works that needs to be done, you're doing it and there's no, there's no passion for people in it because when you have passion for the Lord, you have passion for people. I just recently read something and, and uh, this person was talking about their passion to be in the middle of people who have the presence of the Lord. And I'm like, yes, I want to have that passion too of being with people who have the, who want the passion and presence of the Lord. But I cannot only want to be around those who want Jesus and forget about those who don't even know him, friends. We've got to continue to have a heart for God, but that heart from God, we have to have a heart for people. We have misdirected zeal. Misdirected zeal could be all kinds of things. It could be drugs. It could be music. It could be relationships. It could be the opposite sex uh, or the same sex nowadays. It could be all kinds of things that we have misdirected zeal that we're going after that and we're putting all of our thoughts, all of our passion. I'm going to tell you, you have zeal. What are you thinking about the most? Sometimes our zeal could just be for our family, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is, it can be misguided if our family even becomes before our passion for the Lord. See, God in his word, and it's hard to understand, we say, why would God say something like this? Because all of the things that you have now are temporal, friends. 
My marriage is for until death do us part. I am not going to be married to Josh Hester in heaven. I really hope that I can have a mansion next to his so that I can still bother him even in heaven. But we're not going to be married in heaven. We're going to be brother and sister. It's kind of Kentuckian. We just just kind of drove through there. But listen, we're all brothers and sisters in heaven. But some of you are like, you're talking over my head now. So let me just kind of reel this in. (laughs) Let me reel this in. I'm saying this because sometimes our passion is for the American dream of the better, bigger, better house and the better, bigger, better neighborhood, a better, bigger, better family with the better, bigger, better clothes and the better, bigger, better, 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 better TV and car and all the other stuff. And we work our whole lives to get better and to get more and we forget about what matters more because even if you live 80, 90, 100 years, that's nothing compared to eternity and our passion has to be for Jesus. And who can we take with us to heaven? Because your stuff, your better, bigger house, your better, bigger everything else, that's not coming with you. And even your family, let's hope that they come with us, but it's not going to be in the same position that they are here. Jubilee in heaven is my sister in the Lord not my daughter. And yet we're always striving and looking for things that's going to make us better now. Do you know the Bible says you have everything you need for life and godliness? Oh, but Pastor Joy, I just need a spiritual mama. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Oh, I just need a friend. I just need a friend so we could be friends together for Jesus. You have everything you need for life and godliness. What you have is misguided passion and zeal. You think if something else will come to your life, it's going to help you live and and, and do what you need to do to fulfill your God-given assignment. But friends, your God-given assignment is in you, and you can do it in Christ Jesus. We need to take that that misguided passion and zeal, and we need to direct it again, as Romans 12, 11 says, in serving the Lord. And from that, everything else comes. I, I could be an awesome mom because I love God. I could be an awesome wife because I love God. I could be an okay minister most of the time because I love God, right? Because we love God, friends, that's why we can do all the things that God has called us to do. So we want to be a hero that has heart after God. We don't want to be a zero that has misguided and misplaced zeal. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. To be a hero and to keep our heart for God and our zeal towards him too, another thing we need to be a hero and not a zero is to be earnest. Can you say earnest? A hero is earnest in the secret place. If you are earnest to kill the lion and the bear in the secret place, then God will give you a public victory over the giant in your life. A lot of times that we can't beat that giant in front of us is because we have not been trained in the secret place to get the lion and the bear. David told Saul, and I'm going to read it to you, the reason he was qualified to fight the giant is because he's already defeated the lion and the bear. Some of you all are in the stage in your life where you haven't entered into your God-given destiny. It's because you're still being trained and there's still a lion in your way that needs to be defeated before you get to the giant. And then maybe you've had a little bit of victory, but there's still a bear in your way that needs to be defeated before you get to the giant. See, this is what David says in 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 37. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. You know, a shepherd in the Old Testament represents a, a a pastor, a person that has a heart for, for not just God, but for others. 
So he was faithful being a shepherd. And he says this, when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from his mouth. Friends, do you get that? Now I've just told you a shepherd represents a what? In the Old Testament, what does it represent here in the New Testament? A pastor, okay? A pastor is not just Pastor Josh and I, okay? A pastor is anyone who has, uh, uh, who wants to shepherd God's people and help see God's people grow in Christ. You could shepherd your family. You could pastor your family. I hope every mother and father pastor their children. You could pastor your neighborhood. My dad is a pastor at his job. They don't call him Pastor Frank Thomas at his job, but he's a pastor at his job. He pastors those people who work underneath him. He loves on him. He leads some of them to the Lord. He prays for them. He laughs with them. He jokes with them. He does life with them. They always look forward to lunchtime together. You could pastor the people that are are at your job. This is what David did. He was faithful to shepherd the sheep. And listen, when he saw one of those sheep, why did he go after the lion and the bear? Why? We always talk about him going after the lion and the bear. Oh, he beat the lion and the bear, and then he went and beat the devil. Why? He went after the lion and the bear the same reason why he went after the giant. Because the giant came after God's people. And the lion and the bear did too. And sometimes, friends, we have to defeat the lion and the bear in our secret place, in our time with God, in our prayer time with God, before we can ever get that public victory of that giant. Some of us want the applause and the victory in front of everybody, but we have not been victorious in our secret place. He said, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Come on, friends. God, sometimes we've got to go back. And what's going to help us be earnest in our current circumstance is going back and remembering. You know what? Right now, there's a giant in front of me. I, I'm frustrated because of whatever. And you, put, you can insert whatever that frustration is in your life that makes you upset right now. And then you go back and you think, but what about the times when God rescued me from this way? What about the times when God, our church right now has been in the tightest financial place that we have ever been since we've started. Or maybe since the very beginning. I can't remember. I try to put the past behind me. It might have been about this tight when we first started. But it's, it's been this. It hasn't been like this in years. What has kept me going because the old joy, ask my husband. The old joy would have been kicking and screaming on the floor, crying and, God, why is this going on? I just now have to trust because guess what? There's been time that we've already fought this lion and this bear, and I know the giant that looks bigger than the lion and the bear is going down too because God who is in me is greater than the giant who is in front of me. And whatever that is in your circumstance, maybe it's the situation that you have in your marriage right now and it seems like you're at your very last hope. You think back, when has God rescued you in a situation before? When has God helped you? When have you had victory before? And you think back and you allow that victory that you've already had give you faith for the battle that you have right in front of you. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. If David did not kill the lion and the bear in the secret place, he would not have been able to slay the giant in the public's eyes. Many people want to be recognized for being giant killers, but they have not been earnest enough to do battle and prayer first. It is the prayer closet that we learn to beat the lion and the bear. 
And the scripture, James 5, 16, in the Amplified Version confirms it. It says the earnest, say earnest. Heartfelt, continued prayer of the righteous man makes tremendous power available. Dynamite in its working, friends. Most of us who know that scripture, it's the prayers of the righteous man is powerful and effective. And that word power there means dynamite, dunamis, the same power that the Holy Spirit gives us. And where does it start? The prayer closet. Jesus says to go into your room and to shut the door and to pray where nobody sees you. Friends, we've got to let that prayer awaken in us again. Sometimes we want to do something outwardly to fix the problem. And the way to fix the problem is to go inwardly and say, God, I need to pray. I need to seek your face because I can't do this. I can't fix it. Only you can. We need to be earnest. Say earnest. A hero is earnest. Friends, it's time to be earnest with prayer again and to be a hero that God has called us to be. But if not, we need to look out because the enemy wants you to be a zero. And a zero will always make you feel that you are not good enough. A zero wants you to feel like you are never enough to do what God has called you to do. The enemy will play on your low self-esteem. The enemy will play on it. He will remind you of it every day. A lot of times we have to learn to take thoughts captive. Sometimes we think it's just our thoughts, but sometimes it's the enemy whispering in our ear, oh, you're not good enough. Who are you? You're just some girl from the South End who never even finished her degree, who did this and did this and had learning disabilities and blah, 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 blah. Devil, shut up. You're a liar. That's what we need to do, friends. Oh, who are you? You're not good enough to do that, that dream that, that's inside of you, that you're not good enough to enter into your God-ordained destiny and assignment. You don't have what it takes. And we listen to these lies and we own them. And we've got to stop. In verse 42, it says, he looked at David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. This is talking about Goliath. Goliath said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Mm. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Goliath insulted David and tried to put him down and make him feel like he wasn't good enough to fight him. That he wasn't qualified. Friends, God calls the unqualified. David did not pay attention to the giant's insults because David learned it was only God's opinion that mattered to him. David's own father did not think he was good enough. When Samuel came to the house, when when. It was time to anoint a new king. The prophet Samuel knew that it was one of the sons of Jesse. Well, Jesse had a lot of sons. And he brought all of them out before the prophet, except for one. He left tending the the sheep. And who was that one? It was David. And and Samuel even was confused. Matter of fact, when the first one, Eliab, was brought out before Samuel, Samuel looked at him and said, oh, he's tall, good looking, and and buff. That must be the man of God. And God said, I do not look at, at people the way other people look at them, but I look at their hearts. Again, a man after his own heart. And, he, and then Samuel said, there must be one more. And Jesse said, well, uh, there is the youngest, the one who was born outside of his time, the one who was born into sin. Most scholars believe that David was born um, from another wife, not the same wife as the other brothers in, in uh, adultery. 
And yet God still used him and had a plan for him. It doesn't matter who you come from. It doesn't matter what your family background is. It doesn't matter what your job position and your, your, your poverty in this world is. It matters your heart and you being earnest after God and he can and will use you. But it's the enemy who says you're not good enough. And sometimes the enemy uses the people in our own family's voices to tell us we're not good enough. There's, it's not, there's not enough in you to do what God has called you to do. David's own brothers accused him of being arrogant when he went out to fight the giant. He came to fight. He didn't come to fight the giant, friends. He came to bring lunch to his brothers. When you go back and do your homework and read 1 Samuel 17, you will find that David was there not because he was in the army. He was not even in the army. He was there to bring lunch to his brothers. He was faithful in what he was doing and, and, and went about his business. And God used him in his being faithful about his doing his business to enter him into his destiny. Sometimes we see what we're supposed to be, do and, and we get frustrated that we're not there yet, but we're not being faithful and earnest in where we're at today. Instead, we're believing the lies of the enemy that, oh, well, I might as well give up because there's not enough. I don't have, I'm not good enough. There's not enough in me to make it happen. And we believe the accuser of the brethren, because the accuser of the brethren, the Bible says, is Satan. Saul's da- Saul, David's mentor and father-in-law, the king, did not believe in David either. He tried to dress him in his own armor, but David refused Saul's armor because David learned to be okay with himself. So after, after David tells Saul, well, I fought the lion and I fought the bear and I've got victory. I'm going to go vi- fight this giant when he's telling him this. And David says, okay, go ahead. Because at first, David, or Saul, or where Saul said, okay, go ahead. At first, Saul was like, if you're going to go out there, you got to look like me. And sometimes on our way to our destiny, we're looking at someone who went before us and we think we got to look like them. I've been guilty of that, friends. I look at Pastor Keith and I'm like, man, I got to be like him. I'm not Pastor Keith. I'm not Shannon. I can't look like them. My gifts are different. I can glean from them. I can allow them to encourage me. But I can't look like them. And guess what? You can't look like me. Your gifts are different than mine. Your talents are different than mine. You can't look like the person next to you. God has called you to be who you are in his kingdom. And only you can do it. But we have to know that our low self-esteem is going to hold us back from being all that God has created us to be. We've got to put that under and say, I'm not going to believe the lies about myself anymore. I'm going to learn to be okay with myself. I had to learn. Listen, when I started preaching at 19 years old, I didn't personally know any female preachers. And I felt, what the heck? But God, I'm a girl. He's like, I know you're a girl. I'm like, but, but God. I had to learn, I'm going to be okay. But God, I'm 19. I got to be, but God, I have this scholarship at University of Toledo. Should I give this up? I had to learn to be okay with who I am. And allow God to work all the things that he wants to work out of me, out of me. And just walk in who you are in Christ Jesus, friends. God has uniquely created you. There is no one else out there like you. You are one of a kind. You are one of a kind, friends. And you can do it in Christ Jesus. So we got to tell that low self-esteem. We got to tell that insecurity that tells us we're not good enough to shut it up. We don't like saying shut up in our house. So we say shut it up. I don't know why that it makes it feel better. 
But we got to say, shut it up to that insecurity and that low self-esteem that says you're not good enough. Because a hero is earnest to pray and to trust God, and they know that God is enough for them, and they know they can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. Another quality of a hero is they have right perspective. This is one of my favorite points. They have right perspective. A hero has right perspective about the fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. Can you say that with me? The battle belongs to the Lord. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. See, his, he didn't make it about him. He said, the whole world will know what? There is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's, friends. We've got to realize that our battle might look different. We might not be sitting in a, in a valley getting ready to go fight a physical giant, but there's giants in our life, and, and the battle is still the Lord. That battle over addiction in your life, the battle is the Lord. That battle over your marriage that you want to give up on, the battle's the Lord's. That battle over your own low self-esteem and makes you feel like you're never good enough, always comparing yourself to someone else, the battle is the Lord. That battle over that rage that you can't get a control of, the battle is the Lord. Friends, the battle is the Lord's. See, Ephesians 6, 12 says it this way, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Right perspective will make you realize the way we view our problems oftentimes is the problem. Well, mic drop. The way we view our problem, come on, y'all, y'all got to get it. Y'all got to wake up in here today because this is good stuff. The way we view our problem is oftentimes the problem. God's allow, God allowed the screens to be off today. Was I ticked off about it? Yeah, just a little bit. After I had already called Becca and told her that she needs to make sure that the announcement video is done and the poor girl had a busy week. <laughs> and she did it. Her husband did it. Sent it over to us. And then the screen's down. Was I mad about it? Yes. But I had to make a choice. God can still move when the screens are down. And then I walk in and our guitar players are sick and people aren't here. You know, could that frustrate the, the normal joy who likes things right? I like things right, guys. I just like things to look right. I like things to be right. I don't like a mess, okay? I'm just being real. I like it to be right. So do those things bother me? Yes, but I've got to learn. Maybe God is teaching me it's okay when everything ain't perfect. <sighs> I like things perfect. Angel told me years ago, Joy, you want to be perfect. I'm like, yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> Who doesn't? But I can't allow my perfectionism and wanting to be perfect because I'm not perfect on this side of heaven. I will not be perfect. But God is perfect in me. And I got to change my perspective. Okay, God, you're trying to crucify another little something. You're trying to edge away some more of that flesh. You're trying to make me even more like you. 
Am I still going to give up and give, it, give it everything I have when the screens ain't showing the cool PowerPoint that was made? Absolutely. Because God is worth it. God is worth it, friends. He is worth it. We have got to realize that his way is the best way. The battle is the Lord's. The way we view our problem oftentimes is the problem. we got to change our perspective. Say, change your perspective. Say, God, let me see the way you see. Because the Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So I'm looking at it from my point of view, but God's point of view is different because he's higher, and his ways are not my ways. The Bible says a man plans the course in his own heart, but the Lord orders his steps. The Lord knew everything that was going to take place today. He orders our steps. I might have my plans, but friends, when we start messing up is when our plans start going above what God wants. It's okay to make plans. It's okay to have vision for your life. But his ways are higher than your ways. And it's along the way, friends, it's in the journey that we enter into our our destiny. Right perspective stops looking at the giant and starts looking at God. Right perspective starts looking at God and stops looking at the giant, stops looking at the problems and starts looking at the problem solver. Stop looking at your inabilities and insecurities and start looking at the one who is the great I am. Right perspective. Stop looking at your marriage and all the problems that's in your marriage and start looking at the God who joined, who, whose word says, let God who joins man and woman together, let no one separate. God is greater. Listen, Josh and I are both oldest children, both alphas, even though he tries to act like he's something else. We're both oldest children, both alphas. We came into the marriage, we fought over everything. Windows up, windows down, air conditioning on this, air conditioning down that. I only had to speak in tongues a few times this 16-hour drive down to Florida when he was driving. A few more times when Amor was driving, but it's okay. God is good, and he has made me realize that my battle is not with him. I remember when we lived in the efficiency apartment, and we were fighting so much. My poor man of God, he was in the school of ministry at the time, and I was nosy and, and read his journal. Um, and he, was, he wrote something about his miserable life, and I thought, man, I'm done. I'm done. And I read in James that we fight because we want something from our own selfish ambition, our own selfish ways. I wanted to be the boss. I wanted to be the one to make every decision. I wanted him to get in line. That wasn't God's way. And so I wrote down some scriptures. I put it on my mirror, and I meditated, and I said to myself, and I looked to myself in the mirror. I'm not lying, guys. I looked myself in the mirror, and I said, I will fight not to fight. And then I read that scripture in James. The battle belongs to the Lord. God has called us together and we're married now. And ain't nothing, even my own pride, going to come in the way of this. And I'm going to build him up. And then I wrote me a list in the back of my journal. And I spoke stuff over him every single day. And he didn't know what I was doing. I was doing it in my own prayer time. I didn't necessarily say it to his face. But I spoke it into existence. I would say, my, my man of God is the head and not the tail. And, and I would say things over him. God, God, I know that Josh can do all things. I know he's more than a conqueror. And I would speak these positive things over him every single day until I start believing in myself. <laughs> You're welcome, babe. And still to this day, after 15 years of marriage, I have a prayer thing. And at least two to three times a week, I get on my little prayer list and I speak things over my husband. I said, let him prosper at work. Let him, let doors open 
before him. Let everywhere he walks, let him have victory. And I speak things over my husband. I speak, God, let him have eyes only for you. Let, let, him, be, let him be pure in thought and mind. Let him be a hard worker. God, give him men of God around him that will strengthen him and upgird him and uplift him. Friends, the battle is the Lord's, and our part starts in prayer. And guess what? I do it over my children, too. Oh, yeah. And guess what? I do it over you all, too. I have some prayers for our church. God, let our church be holy. Let them not give up. Let them see who they are in you, Christ Jesus. Pray it. Speak it. Believe it. Get right perspective. Stop looking at the giant. Oh, but our, our church is poor. I sometimes look at the giant. Our church is poor. How can they raise this $5,000? There are factory workers, nurses, and teachers, and unemployed and welfare dependent. How can they? I'm telling you the truth. These are thoughts that go through my head. And then I had to, nope, I'm not looking at the giant. It was the widow who gave from her poverty that God said gave the most. I'm looking at my God. And I'm looking that you can do it through Christ Jesus. You don't have to be in poverty forever. You don't have to have a messed up marriage because that's all you ever saw growing up. You don't have to cheat on your wife. You don't have to cheat on your husband. You don't have to be dependent on drugs to make your mood feel better. You don't have to go to alcoholism to make your mood better. You don't have to veg out on these things that are temporary. Let your appetite be for the Lord. Get right perspective. Look at God. Not the giant. When you have right perspective and know the battle is the Lord's, friends, you will do what it takes to follow him and you will not listen to the lies of the enemy. And one of the things that the enemy does to make us listen to his lies is he ridicules us. A zero will ridicule you. A zero will mock you. A zero will make fun of you. The only thing that was bigger than Goliath was his mouth. Zeros are haters. They spit venom. See, it says in verse 10, the Philistine came out and he said, the this day I defy the armies of the Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And hearing these words, the Philistines' words saw and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. See, a man and woman of God will do their best never to entertain the lies of the enemy. The enemy wants to paralyze you with fear. Have you ever had a dream and, and it was so scary you woke up and you, and you felt like you couldn't speak? The enemy wants to paralyze you with fear. I've only seen a demon, literally saw a demon one time in my life. It's when Josh and I first got married and we lived in an apartment 15 years ago. And when I say the apartment, I mean like a little, a little, <laughs> that apartment could fit in our back room. It was so tiny. And we were laying in bed and it just this airy darkness came over our, 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 our house. And we weren't in sin or anything, but you know, when you live in an apartment and there's like, I mean, all that stuff all around. I mean, and we lived, we lived in the ghetto apartments. I mean, this one, no, like, you know what I'm saying? This was like, this was an efficiency apartment with like $300 a, a, a month. I mean, this was just a little, itty, little hole in the wall somewhere, right? And so this demon came into our room when we were sleeping. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. In our room when we were sleeping. And I woke up 
And I saw that ugly little sucker. He was, he was a, it was a cloudy, shadow-looking thing. Sometimes those movies, man, you think, you think it's so accurate, some of how they depict some demons. You think these people need to be demon-possessed, how they, how they, I mean, I'm telling you, it was straight up, looked just like that. It was a black shadow thing. And I couldn't make out a, a it was, I could it was like smoke almost. I couldn't make up necessarily a form from it. And I tried to open my mouth, friends, and I was paralyzed. I could not open my mouth. As soon as I thought Jesus and Jesus came out my mouth, I was able to open my mouth. And I said, Jesus, go in Jesus' name. And when I said go in Jesus' name, it got sucked out of that apartment, friends. I'm telling you, I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. This happened 15 years ago. It's the only time it's ever happened to me. I've cast demons out of people, I've, and I've seen some crazy things, but I, I, that was not a vision. It was not joy. It was still in her sleep. I woke my husband up. He felt that thing, and it, it, we, we felt that presence, the eerie presence in our house. We got up. We put our worship music on, and, man, we went to war. We, we were praying and seeking God's face. Friends, the enemy is real, and he wants to paralyze you. He wants to paralyze you so that you cannot enter into what God's destiny on your life is. But God says that his perfect love drives out all fear. And that he does not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And so when the enemy comes in and he ridicules and he mocks and he tries to paralyze with fear, we've got to know that the battle is the Lord. We need to know that we can, we can step into this fight because God is with us. Goliath incited fear into the army of the Lord with his big mouth and his big stature. What are you afraid of? What is holding you back from reaching your full potential of Christ? What giant is in your life that you must put to death? Friends, I am preaching to myself because I'm a bold person. It's no, it's no thing for me to go into Walmart and to start preaching to somebody I don't know. I'm a bold person. It's no thing for me to, to go pray for somebody on my street. But there's something that, that, that God has placed on our heart to do. God has placed church planning on our heart, and it's been 10 years. And I, every time we've tried to make a step, I feel like I get paralyzed. And friends, I said, no, in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. And we're going to pursue this dream that God has given us. And I know that this body of Christ is going to come together, and they're going to step up and do whatever God, it takes to, to fulfill the destiny that's on Vision Ministries. And that's on your life, friends. And you think to yourself, what is it on your life that if nothing could hold you back, if you had all the money at your, that you needed at your disposal, if you had all the support, you can't think of any excuse, nothing could hold you back, what would you be doing right now? What has God called you to do that you've allowed fear, insecurity, and things to hold you back? And you say, oh, no, not anymore. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to listen to the ridicules of the enemy. I'm not going to look at that giant anymore. I'm going to put that giant to death. Finally, a hero is out there. They're out there. Say out there. A hero is not afraid to be out there. They're not afraid to do the unconventional thing. They're not afraid to take a risk. Say risk. Reach into Satan's kingdom. They have faith and they're brave and they're bold for a cause greater than themselves. David said to Saul in verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. And verse 48 says, and the Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran toward the battle line to meet him. Friends, we run away from the battle when we need to run towards the battle. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed 
over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from his sheath and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. Friends, we've got to run to the battle. We've got to learn to take risks. See, the Bible says that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. The church has put up these gates to keep the devil out. But friends, we're not supposed to have gates. Our gates are supposed to be down. We're supposed to be open and let people come in and, and show them the way. Instead, matter of fact, we're supposed to, the Bible says in Jude, snatch them from the fire. How can you snatch somebody from the fire if you're not re- ready and willing to go up to the gates of Haiti and snatch them on out of it? One of my favorite quotes by a missionary, C.T. Studd, says this, and we're going to probably use this at our banquet. Write it down, honey. You got to put this in your sermon at banquet. This is good stuff. Some wish to live within the sound of the chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. Friends, I want that to be my life. I'm done playing it safe. I want that to be my life. We've got to be out there. Stop waiting on the church to organize a door-to-door event. You go to your door-to-door and pray for people and invite people. Stop waiting for the church to make some flyer for you to invite somebody in church. If God has saved your life, you should be reaching out to other people. And get, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be all cleaned up. Man, it's taken me years and I'm still not perfect. There's still mess that he shows me, but he loves me. It's in God's grace and mercy. He's not going to show you all your mess all at once, friends. It's a process. It's a journey. But God will use you where you're at right now if you will allow him. And if you say, I'm willing to be out there. I'm willing to step out. How are you taking risk? Some of our youth have been doing a thing for four weeks. They call it risk cards. And we have level ones, level twos, and level threes. And like a level one would be um, like bring your Bible to school. A level two would be something like, for a whole month, listen to nothing but Christian music and uh, Christian movies. Now, we don't say you have to do that for your whole life. I'll be loving my movies. I'm just saying. But sometimes it's good to take a step back and just focus just on the Lord, just for a whole month and see what God does to you. I mean, that's a big step for a teenager. Level three would be something crazy, radical, and bold. Like, in your lunchroom, witness to somebody about Jesus. Ask somebody if you could pray for him and pray for him out loud right there. One of them is one, I'm still waiting for two of my teenage boys to actually follow through and get up at Preach at Vision Kitchen. Step up. Do what you're supposed to do. When are you, what risk have you been taking for the Lord? How are you risking taking a risk for Jesus? How are you reaching into Satan's kingdom? Can I ask you this? This is something Pastor Keith used to say. Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Are the things you're living for with Worth Christ dying for. How are you taking a risk and reaching into Satan's kingdom, friends? A hero will be out there with their faith. And finally, a zero don't want you to be out there, so he's going to be obnoxious with what he believes. Oh, yeah, obnoxious. A zero is obnoxious. They do not care about boundaries. They are not polite nor kind. They will even talk about your mama. Goliath was obnoxious and full of himself. The enemy will not play it safe. He's obnoxious. Not only is the enemy out there, he's obnoxious about being out there. He will do whatever it takes to bring you down, friends. 
We need to learn to run to the battle. We need to learn to fight back with Christ Jesus in us because greater is in us, he that's in us, than he that's in the world. The number one way that we need to do this it, to defeat the enemy and that obnoxious giant in your life is to not listen to his lies, do not allow him to paralyze you with fear. Instead, keep your eyes on the Lord and step out. David was an underdog. He was a boy. He was little. He was ruddy and handsome, they said. He was an underdog. God uses underdogs. God uses the unqualified. Do you want to be a hero of your faith? Then we need to have heart. We need to be earnest. We need to have right perspective. We need to step up for Jesus. Would you step up and stand up right now, please? There are some of us in this place right now who have been paralyzed in your situation. You feel like you cannot move. Worship team, if you can come on up. You feel like you cannot move and you have been stuck. You have been stuck and paralyzed and not be able to do what God has called you to do. If that's you right now and you know that you've been in that, could you raise your hand before the Lord? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to be bold. I'm going to ask you, just like the, David ran to the ba battle, I'm going to ask you to run up here to this altar. This is where the mercy seat is found. There is something powerful about altar calls. We need to stop being afraid to go up to the altar and say, I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. There's some of you in here that you know there's a giant that's holding you back from the God-given destiny on your life, and you've been staring at that giant. And God is asking you, would you, would you come away with me right now? Would you look at me instead of looking at your problems and situations? If that's you out there today, and you just need a, a perspective change. God just needs to shift your way you looking at things. Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand before the Lord? All right, I'm going to ask you to come on up here to this altar. Come on up here. God wants to do something in your life right now. Today, he wants to do something. I need every spirit-filled believer in here. I need you to be praying because this could be someone's...